You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. And then today we'll be in the fifth commandment, which is the commandment that pertains to honoring your mother and your father. But let's look at Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day... As a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And Moses said, And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. O Father in heaven, we come as lawbreakers to you in need of a Redeemer, a Savior, and become clinging to that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven us our sins. We pray that this morning as your law is taught, that you would sanctify us, that you would teach us the way of wisdom and obedience, that we would be found clinging to Christ and growing in righteousness, and that sinners would be saved among us, that your power would be among us, for the salvation of souls and the edification of your church. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and I've been teaching through the Ten Commandments now for a while, and I've asserted and taught that the abiding authority of the Ten Commandments remains. Ten Commandments are the moral law of God, the natural law of God, the very constitution of nature itself. And we have reviewed now, and I've exposited and taught Commandments 1 through 4, having just spent four weeks 
before I took a break from the pulpit, having spent four weeks on the fourth commandment. So we've looked at commandments one through four, and today we're in the fifth commandment. And the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I think that this might be among the most relevant of the Ten Commandments because we live in a day whereby it is expected almost for one generation to rebel against the previous generation. And parents even adapt in their parenting because they expect, or at least attempt to adapt in their parenting because they expect and anticipate that the younger generation will rebel. There's been many times where I've heard parents say, I don't want to bring a biblical principle to bear on the situation because I fear rebellion. And so they live in constant fear of rebellion and then pragmatically shift their parenting styles in order to accommodate that fear. And this has been going on now for several generations in our culture whereby the older generation is living almost in anticipation of a younger generation having a level of contempt for them. And the younger generation looks at the older generation and thinks, how could I ever learn from a people like this quite often? I mean, when they were growing up, they weren't sophisticated like us. They didn't have iPhones, right? And so the younger generation looks with a level of contempt upon the older generation, and the older generation approaches the younger generation with a level of fear because they fear that their children will be like the overwhelming majority of children in this culture, which are indeed characterized by rebellion and contempt for their parents. And there are those who have convinced themselves that they do not need the previous generation, and by that, they have dishonored them by forgetting their ways and forgetting the lessons of history and even desiring to often tear down the memory of a previous generation. And you see this privately in homes with families where generation is divided against generation. And you see this in the public square manifesting itself in the most visible way with a younger generation wanting to tear down the statues of an older generation and contempt of them, thinking that we don't need to stand on their shoulders, but instead have a level of contempt and rebuild for we know what is better. And so this might be one of the most relevant of the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment. And as you look at Scripture, one of the signs, we'll see this, that a society is under the heavy hand of God in judgment and wrath is this level of division between generations. This is a sign that we've reached the end of the road when it is expected that the next generation 
will rebel against the previous generation. It's not just the sign that we've reached the end of the road as a society, but it's the sign that you've reached the end of the road as a family. When one generation looks on the older generation with contempt and bitterness and vitriol, with a sense of haughtiness and pride, pridefully boasting that they are superior to their parents while looking down their nose at what they perceive to be their parents' backwards, backwards ways. Now, I think that as I look at this particular commandment, I mean, it's been the case with all of them, but as I look at this particular commandment, I know I am going to be, there, there's going to be a level of conviction in the room. I don't think there's going to be a more tender issue than this issue as I preach the Ten Commandments. I don't think there's a more raw issue with a lot of you as far as your attitude towards your parents or your children's attitude towards you or even your attitude towards your children. I don't think there's a more raw issue among us. And so, as you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit during this piece on the fifth commandment, I invite you to run to Jesus Christ. Don't get defensive. Don't start making excuses. You know, people come to this and say, well, I'm the exception. If you only knew my parents, I'm the exception. No, you're not. There's no qualification to the fifth commandment. There's no footnote to it that says, but if. You're not the exception. And so come to this with a tender heart that wants to receive from God. But when you fall under conviction, what you need to do is, is you need to run to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness and for mercy, because there's plenty of mercy available at the cross of Christ. And you need to learn to conform your ways to Scripture and not attempt to conform Scripture to your ways. I'm going to spend at least two weeks on this. And in the second week, so not this week, in the second week I'll deal with there's some specific applications that I want to get at as far as age groups, and then there's specific applications that I want to get at when you have difficult parents to deal with. So I hope to do that, I tackle those issues in the second week. But in the first week, this is how I'm going to outline my sermon. Point one, I'll, I will provide the definition of honor. So what does it mean to honor somebody? Point two, the direction of honor. So where is honor directed? And point three, the derivative of honor. So what is derived from honor? What benefits are awaiting those who define honor properly and direct honor properly? What benefits are derived from that behavior? So the definition of honor, the direction of honor, and the derivative of honor. Let me look at this first point, which is the definition of honor. I seek to define our terms. Now, we are told in our text here, verse 12, the fifth commandment, that we are to honor our parents, specifically our mother and father. And to do that, we must know what it means to honor someone. And as you examine the scriptures, you find that it 
someone who honors someone has a heart that is full of sincere, strong, unwavering love and respect for the person. That's what honor is. And it, so what I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with the heart right now. And what's the heart of the person who's honoring another person? Well, your heart towards the person that you're honoring will be one of respect, one of strong, unwavering love, one of sincerity. It, it, and it manifests itself in actions that indicate respect, in word, in deed, in expressions of gratitude and gestures of respect. So these two things go together. One is the heart, unwavering and sincere love and respect and a level of loyalty. And the other one is the actions that communicate that. We don't live in a world where we have refined and defined how to have actions or how to display acts of honor. How do you honor someone with your actions? Because this is a commandment, it's to do something. It, it's not to not do something. So the commandment is, is, is not, the commandment is not, it is not don't dishonor. That, that would mean you don't say certain things, but the, or you don't do certain things, but the commandment is put in the positive way, do honor. So this means you actually have to attempt to communicate things through your gestures and words and actions. We'll look more at that in the next week. We'll touch on some of it this week. But there, there should actually be an effort that is put forth in your actions stemming from your heart to communicate honor towards people that deserve to be honored. And in this case, it's your mother and father. So you should be even thinking about that right now. How do I honor them? Because I'm defining honor right now. We're talking about the definition of honor. Just to show you a little bit of what Scripture says on this, Leviticus 19, verse 3, tells us that honor is reverence. So it, it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbath, I am the Lord your God. But, but it, it, the reverence. So almost a holy fear. And in fact, the word honor at other points in Scripture is used to describe acts of worship to God. So one of the ways you honor God is you worship Him. And so there is a direct correlation between honor and worship in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying... You worship any human being, not even your parents. But I am saying that the word honor is used to describe the worship of God to point out to you how high of a reverence you're to have towards the previous generation and the previous generations in that. And if you look at, there's, to my knowledge, there is one commendable praise song to a human being in the Bible where someone actually breaks out and sings a hymn of praise to a human being, where it's actually commendable in the Bible. There's only one. It's for sure a praise song. And to my knowledge, it's the only one. And that's in Proverbs 31, where the children rise to praise their mother. Actually stand up and break out in song to praise her. So there's an act of honor. 
is the younger generation rising to their feet to praise the matriarch of the previous generation. So I'm trying to define it here. The word can be used to describe the worship of God, as I've noted, and Matthew Henry says, it is a decent respect to their persons and inward esteem of them outwardly expressed upon all, 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 all occasions in our conduct towards them. For children, little children, it simply means obedience for the first time, first time obedience. You want to teach your children to honor you at a young age, you expect them to obey you the first sound of your voice. For adult children, it means caring for them in their old age. For all, it means not speaking ill of them, only speaking well of them, and always attempting to demonstrate your esteem for them. All of this goes together. I'll, I want to deal more with that next week when I get to the application, but what I'm trying to do right now is generally define it by way of application as I've specifically defined it with words already. Honor. I'm offering you a definition today. William or S. Plumer in the 19th century, the Southern Presbyterian minister said, there can never come a time when the child may cease to honor the parents in every way expressing love and esteem and especially by yielding to his reasonable commands. You don't grow out of honoring your parents, is what I'm trying to say. You don't grow out of it. In Proverbs 31, as I already noted, is, demonstrates to us what honor is in an expression of the heart to the mother. As it says in Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. So you see, Proverbs 31 is actually presenting the attitude of the children to the mother like a worship service. It's not saying you worship the mother, but the reverence is so high for the mother that the children are to rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. And then in verse 31 it says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. What's her works? Her family. Her family is to be expected to praise her in the gates, the mother. And so that's what honor is. It's an attitude of the heart, of reverence and awe and love that flows out into actions, gestures, do you notice in the Proverbs 31, they rise up. It's a gesture of respect and words and deeds. This is honor. As you look at the book of Exodus, you find that there are certain instances of dishonoring parents that are actually capital crimes. So you look at Exodus 21, verse 15, and it says, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Or Proverbs, or sorry, Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. So these are acts of dishonor. And the Old Testament law, the civil law, saw the honoring of parents is so primary that the cursing or the striking 
of a parent by a child invokes as a maximum penalty death at the hands of the community. Now, some of you will gasp at that and you'll say, really? Boy, the Bible's harsh. Some of you will think that. Boy, the Bible's mean. Some of you will think that. But I think you, you think that in your mind because your reverence is not high enough of the family, the family unit. And I'll explain this to you. If you, if you go back in time 60 years ago, during the Cold War era, and you were in a government position in this country, and it was found that is a civil servant working for the government, that you were selling information and collaborating with the Soviet Union, what would you be charged with? Treason. And back in the day, it was the death penalty. I want you to know this, that in the Old Testament, there is no death penalty for treason against the state. But there is death penalty for treason against the family. Because the Old Testament holds the family as a unit that is deserving of more reverence than the state. And we live in a time where often we have more reverence for the state than the family. The family is the most sacred institution so that violations against the family are considered treason against the family under Old Testament law, but violations, treason against the state is not punished as a capital offense. This is why adultery and sodomy are capital crimes, because they're treason against the family under Old Testament law. They're capital crimes under Old Testament law because they are acts of rebellion against the family unit. But yet we as a culture seem to have a higher view of the state than we do of the family. So the minute we hear that treason against the family is a capital crime, we gasp. But if we hear that treason against the state is a capital crime, it doesn't bother us as much. But that the family ought not be touched. It ought to be regarded as sacred space. The family unit and a child that strikes his mother and father or a child that curses his mother and father is a child that is acting in treason against the most sacred institution that God has created. People don't understand this, but the family is actually the most sacred form of government. Hey, what would happen to you, by the way, I, said, I, I just said that the striking of the parents was a capital crime under Old Testament law. What would happen to you if you were out and you, and you took a swing at a police officer? Or you went after a police officer with a club? or a tire iron, or a knife. Would you be surprised if he shot you? And would anyone, anyone who has their wits about them think, oh, he shouldn't have done that? If you're gonna be violent with a cop, how much more serious is it to be violent against a mother and a father? It is transgressing a sacred line of demarcation. 
And yet we just take it as a culture, ah, it's no big deal. And, and what, what, did, what did Karl Marx want to do, the communist, who wrote the Communist Manifesto? He knew that if he was to usher in a realm of complete state control, he must destroy the family and turn the children against the parents. And, and the cultural Marxists that plotted and planned the sexual revolution that we're experiencing in this country right now, they were in academic institutions in the English-speaking world, and what did they do? They said, if we want to bring in communism in the English-speaking world, we must destroy the family with the sexual revolution. We must turn the children against the parents. It was an intentional plot. You can look it up. The cultural Marxists who plotted this entire sexual revolution and have been very successful in their endeavor. Turn the children against the parents by destroying the family with divorce and adultery and fornication and sodomy and pornography. I am attempting to define to you what honor means, and I'm attempting to show you why it is such a serious concept. There must be a holy fear of dishonoring parents and the family. A holy fear. A reverence and awe of the family. And so I've attempted to define honor. Honor. Let me move on from the definition to the direction of honor. The direction of honor. Where, to whom is honor directed and where is honor directed? Honor flows up. The direction of honor is from those who are under authority to those who are in authority in this case. When it comes to human relationships, those who are under authority are to show honor to those in authority. So if we're talking about the direction of honor, we're saying the direction of honor is up. For children, this means they are to honor their parents especially. And I want you to note something in the text here, Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. Who are you supposed to honor? Your father and your mother. Well, the man is certainly head of the house, as according to the Bible, both mother and father are to be honored. This is not a chauvinistic type of patriarchy that we see in the Bible. We see a level of honor that is to be brought to both mother and father. In fact, as you look at Proverbs 31, as I noted, the highest level of honor in the Proverbs at the end of the chapter is given to the mother. So this is not anything. As you look at the Bible and it talks about the husband being the head of the house, as I believe firmly, and the husband wielding authority in the house, as I believe firmly, there is a great level of honor that is to be put on the woman, the matriarch of the family. A great level of honor. And, and some of you, as you hear this, and I talk about the direction of honor, you're so bitter towards your parents you're so bitter towards them that you think you're the exception to this. You, you cherish the bitterness. But this is a definite command. Definite. You sit around and you say, why don't my children honor me? How did you speak about your parents in front of your children? 
How did you speak to your parents in front of your children? Because remember what I said, visiting the iniquity under the third and fourth generation of them who hate me. So this is a, a sin that is passed on from generation to generation very easily. And so honor is to be given. Wilhelm S. A. Brackle said, even if the person is not lovable and behaves himself unworthy of either love or esteem, he must nevertheless be loved in that relationship is having been placed over. I'll deal with difficult situations next week, but regardless of the situation, honor is still due. Always. We must promote the honor of parents and we must show patience towards their failures. The direction is always up when it comes to honor. Nobody gets to know their parents better than the children, the people, the couple better than the children. They see all their flaws, they see all their hypocrisy, they see them at their worst, and honor is still to be directed up, is patience is to be shown towards failures. And this is something that is consistently taught in Scripture. I'll give you a few Bible verses to show you. It's, on, it's all over the Bible. It's Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. See, it says mother and father. Mother and father. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The father's instruction and the mother's teaching are more valuable to you than jewelry. And what do you do with jewelry? You put them on display in honorable places on your body, your ears, your, your neck, your, your wrist, where people can see your jewelry because it's to be honored. And such is the case with your parents. They are to be honored and to be held in esteem. Our Proverbs 15 Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Honor means you receive your father's instruction. You take it, treasure it in your heart. Proverbs 20, verse 20 says, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. He will be destroyed, in other words. How about this one? Proverbs 30, verse 17 the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. In other, way, in other words, God will use nature itself to destroy the person who dishonors his parents. Nature itself will turn on you because God is providentially ruling over nature. Jesus repeated this commandment on multiple occasions in the Bible, which I'll speak of next week. But Matthew chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, he answered them, Jesus answered them, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Notice Jesus actually repeated the judicial law in his teaching. You say the judicial law, the death sentence is a maximum penalty for the dishonoring of parents through striking and cursing them is harsh. Jesus repeated it. Because it's that serious. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul repeats it again. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So the direction of honor is up towards parents. 
Well, parents deserve honor. Something embedded in this text of Scripture, the fifth commandment, is that parents carry special responsibility. While the direction of honor is up, the direction of responsibility is down. So parents should stay within their realm of authority and not step out of it. There's lines there. Parents should love tenderly. They shall live as good examples. They shall care for the souls and bodies of their children. They shall teach and discipline their children, and they shall be patient with the, with the weaknesses of their children. But while the so while the thrust of the text is that the honor is to be given up, up to the parents, the direction of honor is up, implicit in the text is that the honorable ones, or the ones who are to be honored, have a responsibility that goes down. So that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, it says, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. So there's a responsibility on the parents then to live in an honorable way so that the children may learn what it is to live a righteous life. And even Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so honor is to go up, and those who are to be recipients of honor have a responsibility that points down. And the human, or the, the, the family, the family is so sacred, which I've, I've mentioned, and we're talking about the direction of honor. The reason it's so sacred, one of the reasons, it's, it's, not, it's the first institution, by the way, that God created is the family. Before the church, before the government, it was the family. And society actually flows from the family, which tells us that the church flows out of the family. Look across this church. There's families of three generations sitting in this church, some with four generations. A few with two generations, but multiple generations of families that carry the same last name or the same history or the same lineage are sitting before me right now. And this is a healthy thing because the church literally flows out of the family, and guess what? The state in a healthy society flows out of the family too. Its families work together to create human government. And so the family unit, if it is dealt with in a proper, respectable way, it becomes the most powerful unit in all of society. If there is a loyalty between generations. When the disloyalty is there and the family unit breaks down, other units rise up to fill the void. But if the family is running properly, if the family is running properly, it will become the most powerful unit in society. But if it breaks down, other units will fill in the void. Right now, the unit that's filling in the void is what? It's the state. The weaker the family gets, the more the state eats its lunch. The stronger the family gets, the weaker the state gets. But because all other human institutions flow out of the family, that means that the authorities within those other institutions are also to be shown honor. 
So the honor, so 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, church leaders are to be shown honor. But that honor is given to church leaders because it is grounded in the honor that's given to the family. Because the church flows out of the family. The family is the first institution. And then in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, Peter actually says, honor the emperor. Because the idea is, is that human government flows out of the family. Civil government. So all of these institutions are related, but the family, specifically the marriage, but the family is a unit, is the most sacred unit, the most sacred institution in society. In fact, the titles mother and father are given in Scripture to governmental rulers. So the, the book of Isaiah actually tells us that the government is to be as fathers and mothers to the church, nursing fathers to the church, to care for the church. Our military leaders are called mother and father. Church leaders are called mother and father in the Bible. And older people are called mother and father in the Bible. And all are worthy of honor because this honor is derived from their relationship to the family. The authority structure is born in the family, and then that has implications for the rest of society. And so, if you can understand then why treason against the family in the Old Testament is such a high crime, it's because you're, there's a direct relationship between your attitude towards your family, and specifically your parents, and your attitude towards other authorities. Show me a kid who's poorly behaved and has a bad attitude towards the authorities in his school, and I'll show you a kid who's poorly behaved and has a bad attitude towards the authorities at home. Show me a kid who has a bad attitude towards the policemen and who loves rebellion in society and loves revolution in society to overthrow the authority structures, and I'll show you a kid that was never disciplined to respect authority in his home and show you a kid that has a respect for authority on all levels, and I'll show you a kid that has, was taught to respect authority in his home. There's a direct relationship between all of it, and the direction of honor is up. It's up towards those in authority, and specifically the parents. And so we've seen the definition of honor. Well, now we just looked at the direction of honor, now what I want to talk about is the derivative of honor. What is derived from honor? What is derived from honor? There are blessings that are derived from honor. There is something very valuable that is derived from honoring parents, and the derivative of honor is the blessing of longevity. Look at Exodus 20, verse 12, our text today. Honor your father and your mother. What? Why? 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 That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The derivative of honor is longevity. The derivative of honor is longevity. And what does this mean? What does it mean that the derivative of honor is longevity? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that for multiple generations, 
People will be blessed and will be remaining in the land with a long-term vision for the family. Multiple generations will be blessed. There will be long word blessing towards that family if that family knows what it is to honor one another. Long term. In fact, it is a sign of regeneration of the second birth if your heart is actually turned towards your parents. So this isn't just an Old Testament promise. If your heart is turned towards your parents... It is a sign that you have been born again. And if your heart is turned away from your parents, it's a sign that you have not been born again. So what did John the Baptist come to do? Well, the book of Malachi says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of under destruction. And that was speaking of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, one of his jobs was to preach a gospel of repentance or to preach repentance. And when he preached repentance, one of his objectives was to turn the children towards their fathers and the fathers towards the children. So what do you do? What do you do? You look back to build on the shoulders of your fathers and you look forward to bless your children. This is a sign that you've been born again. The born again person is looking backwards in time, and saying, how do I build on what they've given me? And the born-again person is looking forward in time and saying, how do I build in a way to bless them, the ones that are coming? And so this is a sign that you've been born again. If you want to honor the fathers and if the children are turned towards the fathers and the fathers are turned towards the children, it is a sign that you have been born again. And it is a sign that a society is under judgment if there is division within the family. So, for example, Micah chapter 7, verses 5 through 6 says, this is a society that's under judgment. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. And then it says in verse 6, For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the ones of his own house. What's going on there? Well, the first passage is talking about division among neighbors. And the second passage is telling you what the cause is of division among neighbors. And the cause of division among neighbors is division in the family. Why do we live in a world where you're afraid to unlock your doors at night? Where parents are afraid to let their children play in parks alone? Why do we live in a world where people are predatory towards other people? Because the families are divided. That's why. It starts in the family. And this is a sign that God's judgment has visited us. And the greatest manifestation of this judgment is when there is murder within families. And so you see this in Ezekiel 5, verse 10. It says, Therefore fathers will eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgment on you. And any of you who survive, I will scatter to all the winds. So the fathers turn on the children, and the children turn on the fathers. In our time, you see this in no greater way than in abortion. 
two generations now where it's been acceptable for a mother to kill her child or a father to pressure the mother to kill her child for a few minutes of pleasure. What's the life of a child worth? 15 minutes of pleasure. That's what it comes down to. What's it gonna take for people to kill a child in this society? You give them 15 minutes of pleasure and they'll murder their own children. That's what abortion comes down to. And this is a sign that we are under the heavy hand of God right now. Where not only is abortion carried out in the society, but it is considered, if you look at our disposition of our government and our media and our cultural elites, it is considered more sacrosanct to protect the rights of abortion than to protect the rights of the family. This is how bad it is. Why is this premier out in New Brunswick? All is this guy is saying out New Brunswick, the premier of New Brunswick, all is he saying, all that he's saying is that if a child, if a little boy wants to become a girl, the teachers should let the parents know. That's all he's saying. Or if a little girl wants to become a boy, the teachers should let the parents know. So in other words, if the kids want to chop off their private parts, the teachers should let the parents know. That's all he's saying. And the scorn that this man is receiving for just saying that, but if he stood up and said, it's a woman's right to kill her child, he'd be praised. This is the heavy hand of God, is what I'm trying to say. And this is an accursed generation that would consider the so-called rights of a mother to murder her child is more sacrosanct than the actual family unit and the marriage itself. And so this is what we live under as we look at the derivative of honor. The derivative of honor. If you learn to honor between the generations, there will be prosperity and there will be fruitfulness and there will be longevity. But if there's dishonor between the generations, there will be death. The mothers turn against the children, the fathers turn against the children, and then guess what? The children turn against the fathers, and when they get old, they pressure them to go get their medical assistance in death. Why would you want to clog up the medical system and put that burden on your family? You might as well go do yourself in, and it'll be easier to do yourself in than it will be to get the surgery that you need anyway. Death is more sacred than life in this country. The derivative of honor. A culture where there is honor between the generations is a culture that celebrates life. A culture that celebrates children. A culture that celebrates family. But when the generations turn in on themselves, this is what we get. Death and destruction and blood. Seared consciences and hatred and distrust. You surprised at how bad things are? I'm surprised they're not worse considering how wicked this country has become, and evil, and vile in the sight of God. When the generations are turned towards each other as opposed to away from each other, it invites the blessing of God so that families perpetuate themselves for a long time in the land as they consistently remain on mission for God. And if you look at Psalm 127, this is precisely what it says. 
What does Psalm 127 say about the blessing of God? Well, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the heart, hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What is this telling us? It's telling us that the family unit is designed to be so tight that when the father goes to war, all his children stand up and say, I will fight with you. That's what it's saying. That's why it's, that's why it's encouraging fruitfulness and childbearing. It's encouraging fruitfulness and childbearing as a means of self-defense, as a means of protection, and as a means of acquiring wealth and attaining the blessing of God. This is why. And it's a sign of curse when that falls apart. Godly families fight their enemies together. Godless families fight each other. where there is regeneration across the generations, where the generations have received the second birth, they will stand up as a unit and they will fight their enemies together. But when the families are turning in on themselves, so is to demonstrate that there is at least one generation or all the generations that do not have the second birth, they turn in and fight each other. Godly families fight for each other and godless families fight against each other. And this brings longevity in the land. Biblical families take ground together. They build businesses together. They advance the gospel together. They accumulate wealth together. Because there's trust and there's love. And there's loyalty and there's honor where honor is due. And there's care. Whereas worldly families destroy everything, they deplete everything, and they produce nothing. I'm talking about the derivative of honor. Now the application immediately in the text is Israel taking the promised land, and so God's telling them, if you honor your mother and father, you will live long in the promised land. And if each successive generation honors the previous, they were guaranteed prosperity and success and the blessing of God in the long term in the promised land. But destruction of the family and the turning in of the generations on each other invites invasion, enslavement, and captivity. For us, the promise is repeated again in Ephesians chapter 6. And the New Testament doesn't just speak of the land of Canaan, but the eyes of the New Testament children of God are on the whole world. The whole world. The promise is repeated in Ephesians chapter 6 with the idea that the Christians inherit the whole world is the fruit of regeneration manifests itself as generation learns to love generation. Is the fruit of the second birth demonstrates itself at the dining room table, the kitchen table. Families, Christian families, start to take over the world, according to Ephesians 6. You look at all the problems in this country, too many to list. Drugs, needles in the parks, human trafficking, corrupt government, tyranny, rapacious taxation, sodomy, expanding across the country like a poisonous vine. Do you know what would solve it all? 
Do you know what would solve it all? Families working together across generations, taking responsibility for themselves as they fear Christ. If this was the attitude at the dining room table, as opposed to murmuring and backbiting and thanklessness and discontentedness, what if the virtues of gratitude and love and respect and honor and courage were taught at the dining room table, the kitchen table, the trends would be reversed if it were to start in the family. And so I've talked about the definition of honor. I've talked about the direction of honor. And I've looked at the derivative of honor. Next week, I'll get to some more application on how this should play out. But let me just close by making a few statements. You want to destroy government tyranny, the rapacious tax system that we have, and the people that want to control our lives, and you want to put an end to that? You know how you're going to start doing that? If you want to destroy the corruption in government, destroy the bitterness you have towards your mom and dad. There's a direct relationship between the two. And you want your children to honor you? Well, show them and model to them how you honor your parents and your mom and dad, especially in front of your children. How many parents complain about their mom and dad and then do so in front of their children and murmur and grumble about it and put those seeds in their children's hearts as opposed to honoring them and put the seeds of honor and love and virtue in their children's hearts? You want them to stop tearing down statues of civil and civic leaders from previous generations, then stop tearing down your mom and dad. And you want to build up the virtuous memories of the past, then start building up your mom and dad. There is a direct line from your attitude towards your parents and the blessing of God upon your children. A direct line. The hearts of the fathers will be for the children and the hearts of the children for the fathers. And you know what? This might be the most relevant of all the commandments because obedience to this commandment would solve a lot of problems. And we live in a generation that insists on tearing down the past and squandering what has been given to us. It's a my generation generation. Take what your parents give to you and squander it. As opposed to build on what your parents give to you so that your children can build on what you give to them. But it's a generation that is not so much about the duty towards the previous generation and the generation to come, but a generation that is about fulfillment of what I believe my heart wants most which is typically the cravings of the flesh, in ease and luxury and pleasure. This might be the most relevant of all the commandments. And you're not going to... The primary way to change the world is not by being an internet troll. And I, and I got news for you. you know, I don't think things are going to get a lot better if we get a new government in Ottawa. 
because the government in Ottawa is a reflection of the people in the homes and the dinner tables of the nation. If you want to change the government in Ottawa, start honoring your parents and teach what it is by example to honor your parents and start showing responsibility to the next generation. I've talked about the definition of honor, the direction of honor, and the derivative of honor. And I'll close by, with this quote from William S. Plumer. He said, only when the fathers, or the heart of the fathers, is turned to their children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, may we hope that God will not come and smite the earth with a curse. Only when. This will be a sign of revival, a true sign of revival, a true sign of hope for the future, when the hearts of the fathers are for the children and the hearts of the children are for the fathers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. Forgive us our sins as we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. And may our hearts be for our fathers, and may our affections be directed towards the children, that we may have an eye to the previous generation to build on them, and an eye to the future generation to give them something to build on. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.